Hey everyone, you're listening to the Recap by Drawing Capital, the best place to dissect the week's key events and investing in technology in 15 minutes or less. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute an offer, solicitation, or recommendation regarding any investment product or service. Any reference is not an endorsement by Drawing Capital nor a recommendation by Drawing Capital to buy, sell, or hold. Listeners should determine for themselves whether a particular service or product is suited to their needs or should seek professional advice for their particular situation. Welcome back to the recap. Today is Friday, the 26th of March, one of those weeks I thought would never come to an end. Anyhow, let's quickly revisit where we've been. Since the Friday of last week, the Dow returned, uh, was up 6.16% for the year last week. This week continued its upward trend to over an 8% return for 2021. The S&P 500 was up 3.78% last week, and this week also continued its way onward to 5.8% for the year. The NASDAQ, which had officially turned negative for the year last week at minus 0.39%, is back to positive 0.65. ARKK, again, uh, now observed as the innovation index or benchmark, was down 1.71% last week now down 8.5% for the year. Uh, Again, with a focus here on the 10-year U.S. Treasury uh, being one of the uh, culprits of of all these stock price moves, has a yield of 1.725%. This time last week, it is currently sitting at 1.657%, and yields seem to be stabilizing a little bit. Today, in particular, a couple of key questions I wanted to start uh, by touching on. First, just as a growth vehicle, what determines stock prices long-term? Second, what has happened traditionally with stocks when longer-dated bonds like the 10-year U.S. Treasury uh, are rising? So in the short term, prices are primarily driven by sentiment, both by individuals and institutions. And over a 12-month period, that accounts for over 45% of a stock's price movement when we stretch that out to a 10-year period, again, just aligning with time horizons here, stocks are generally held for the long term, the contribution of multiples or sentiment drops to about 5%, according to Morgan Stanley Research and Boston Consulting Group. Over the long term, the real driver of returns accounting for 89% of a stock's price movement is revenue growth and margins, otherwise said sales and profits of the company. As for the S&P 500, probably most commonly used stock benchmark today, when looking back to 1962, rising 10-year bond yields have actually been associated with positive returns for the stock index. The average period of rising yields historically has been just over two years, and during that time, the average return of the S&P 500 has been about 17%. As for growth stocks versus value stocks measured over the last 20 years, when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yields are rising, growth stocks have outperformed value stocks in general. Large cap growth has beaten large cap value by about 4.5% on average, and small cap growth beating small cap value by about 6% on average. Again, during these periods, looking at the 10-year Treasury yield, it had increased between 1% and 2.5%. And oftentimes, this can just be a sign of economic recovery or expansion like we're in now. Uh, Sagar, would you say that's accurate? 
Yeah, I would. I think that's a great question. And thanks for providing the historical context here. To uh, further double click on this here, the 10-year Treasury has moved from about 93 basis points at the start of the year to today, uh, which is about 1.67%. So while this volatility in growth and innovations, um, and by comparison, these innovation stocks is, is hopefully transient and temporary, and as Sean previously mentioned, exceptional companies with strong business fundamentals and revenue growth in the long term drive long-term value creation for shareholders and other stakeholders. I think another key insight here with the rise in interest rates is that a consequence of a highly levered world is that small interest rate moves have large impacts in both the bond market and the stock market. And the key insight from all of this is that the opportunity cost in investing matters. And so all else equals an interest rate increase leads to an increase in the discount rate, which causes net present value or discounted cash flow analyses uh, to become less favorable, particularly for long duration assets. Now, the key term there is all else equal, meaning that if the cash flows of these long duration assets exponentially rise in the future way past expectations, that would certainly be a positive uh, attribute for these growth and innovation names. Another key insight is that the timing of these earned cash flows matter, both in financial modeling and analysis, but also in the general calculation of IRR. So when discount rates increase, which is often, like I mentioned, in the case with rising interest rates, many investors prefer cash generation today compared to waiting for cash flows generated in the future. Some investors may perceive the term current cash generation as short-term bonds, high dividend paying stocks, and REITs. And then on the other hand, long-term cash generation comes from long duration assets, which are typically seen as long-term bonds, high growth names that are reinvesting cash flows back into future growth opportunities, as well as stocks today that currently do not pay a dividend and have no idea of paying a dividend in the near term because they want to reinvest all of those cash flows back into the business for hopefully long-term value creation there as well. So I guess in summary there, the opportunity cost of investing matters, discount rates matter, in the long-term business fundamentals and revenue growth are the key drivers of long-term price appreciation. And while these rising treasury yields, particularly on the longer end of the yield curve, um, is something to be concerned about in the short term for both bond investors as well as growth investors. In the long term, it's about the quality of the business, not necessarily the incremental increase in interest rates that really matter. Sure, that makes sense. And I think on the subject of just fundamentals driving businesses and uh, fundraising, capital financing, a big one and some exciting news this week is Tesla. Uh, has just started accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment. Obviously, they're going to end up with much more of it on their balance sheet. Uh, our in-house crypto expert, Jugal, can you maybe run us through you know, what the implications of that are and what, what the future might look like for Bitcoin as something on a balance sheet and, and as uh, an accepted payment by major consumer companies? Yeah, definitely. Love to talk about Bitcoin all the time. I think the part about... Elon tweeting, you know, a couple of weeks ago that Tesla would be accepting Bitcoin uh, was interesting to me because one, I didn't really see Bitcoin 
as necessarily a replacement to the U.S. dollar. You know, most people think about Bitcoin as a replacement for gold. And so when you think about it, like, why would why would you buy a car with a, a brick of gold? Right. It doesn't really make sense. But then thinking about it further uh, through the research, we've seen that Bitcoin is actually a better version of gold in the fact that it's easier to transfer value over the blockchain than it is to transfer a physical brick of gold. And so in that sense, there is a little more leeway in being able to use Bitcoin as a transaction medium. Uh, and the, the next thing I wanted to talk about is that Tesla is actually thinking about keeping the Bitcoin as Bitcoin. It has no intention of selling the Bitcoin back to USD once you make a purchase. And the interesting part about that is that Tesla is now essentially uh, being a supporter of Bitcoin, being a long-term investor of Bitcoin uh, indirectly. And when you think about it, consumers that are spending one Bitcoin to buy one Tesla, you know, me as a crypto investor, I see Bitcoin going up to potentially a price of $200,000 by the end of the year, which is a 4x movement from where it is right now. And so in my eyes, somebody's giving one Bitcoin to Tesla, which is around $50,000, but by December, that could be worth $200,000. And so Tesla is really selling four Teslas for one Tesla. And so they're getting four times the profit. And that could be huge. That could have huge implica implications on their balance sheet uh, by, by, the, by the end of this year. The, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I think a lot, is on a lot of people's mind, is how do you get taxed uh, when, when buying a Tesla with Bitcoin? And I think my guess is that the IRS, the IRS might be treating this as a capital gains a situation where selling Bitcoin and spending Bitcoin will probably be the same in their eyes. And so you might be getting a big bill uh, come around tax season. But I don't exactly know for sure how, how this will be implemented. I see. I mean, so important to note, you know, we're not tax experts or CPAs here, but um, when transacting in that, you're actually transferring value. And with other assets, when you transfer value, you transfer basis. So they may look at it in that perspective. And as far as I've seen with any of these transactions, and it's not the first time that Bitcoin's been used to purchase something else, other people, to my knowledge, have not paid capital gains there. It's basically a transfer of value for the people that end up selling the Bitcoin. I think the question comes in is, is what basis is being used to calculate where it was actually purchased and therefore what are the capital gains and are they short-term or long-term? Um, but I don't know that it's actually, and at least I don't think it's it's um, being treated as a capital gain on purchase either. That would be a big detractor, I think, um, for those using or accepting Bitcoin as a payment. Yeah, I, personally, uh, me, me as a Bitcoin investor, I, I could also, I'm also not sure if I would ever buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. I, I would do it for the the giggles. I mean, a lot of people on, on Twitter, you can see some people actually buying a Tesla with Bitcoin just to say that they did it, right? Same same people that probably bought the Tesla tequila uh, for hundreds of dollars. Uh, but for me, like if I think this Bitcoin is going to go up, then why would I want to give it to Tesla? Why don't I just pay in US dollars, right? Yeah, and I think one of the more interesting things, honestly, especially for people that are large holders of Bitcoin are typically more bullish on it as an asset class. Um, I, yeah, you know, just using your your forecast there as some anecdotal evidence. But 
companies like BlockFi now and the future of lending and borrowing against Bitcoin as an asset, I mean, if it is even much more conservatively than it has been compounding at a you know a rate of 10% a year, call it, and interest rates are still as low as they are now, why on earth would I sell that and potentially realize a capital gain in order to buy something like a car? It doesn't make any sense. But if you could borrow against that in US dollars or, or even Bitcoin, pay for it, at a reduced interest rate, um, that would be, in my mind, just a much, much better way to go. Yeah, I totally agree. And actually, I wanted to jump back to your previous question about, you know, will we see other sellers actually using Bitcoin as a medium? Uh, and personally, I think for things that take a long time to order, such as a Tesla, it makes sense because Bitcoin takes about a day or maybe a couple of hours to validate the transaction. Um, though, as you increase the, trans the the size of the transaction, say you're paying $50,000, then that gets validated a bit faster. But if you're spending like five or $10, it, it could take up to hours or maybe a day to actually get validated. So I think you won't really see Bitcoin being used in per se a mall or a grocery store, but for large purchases like potentially a home or a car, uh, you you might see more Bitcoin transactions being done there. Yeah, I mean, one of those things I kick myself all the time for, and I'd mentioned this previously, but just having done some research on Bitcoin back in you know 2011 or 2012 or whatever it was, and just said, ah, oh, this is another pump and dump scheme. If I were one of the people that had purchased it then in some large quantity, and I wanted to go out and buy a house now, obviously that that would probably be the largest item on the balance sheet that I'd be looking to, to to draw some some financing from. So that absolutely makes sense. Anyhow, I think we're just wrapping up on our uh, time here for the for the week. But um, today we uh, covered a few key topics, including the real impact on stock prices long term being strong fundamentals, primarily in the form of revenue growth and company profit margins the rising 10-year treasury yields as generally positive for stocks, as has been the case almost 80% of the time for the S&P since the early 1960s. And Mr. Musk added again on the forefront of innovation, now accepting Bitcoin in exchange for vehicles. Great stuff, guys, and hope to uh, see you all back next week.